0: And welcome, friends, countrymen, to the third episode of The Pod Against America, and I am joined, as always, by my friend, Jim Baker. Hello, Jim. Hey, Rob. Great to be here. Yes, thank you. It's great to have you. Before we uh, get rolling, and we have so many things to talk about, um, a little housekeeping. One, last week, we had a bit of probably 20 seconds of dead air in the middle of the podcast. And I said, well, I'll go back and fix that. Guess what? I didn't fix it. I couldn't figure out how to fix it. You uh, didn't fix it? I couldn't figure out how to fix it. I'm having a tough time with the uh, podcasting uh, tools, uh, So, or the production tools. I think I'll figure it out. And if I do, I'll, I'll go back and fix it and re-upload it. But I wouldn't bet on it. So the, Let's tell them what really happened. The, it was I went on a 20-second
1: <laughs> vulgarity rant. <laughs> And Rob, he's just trying to, he's trying to cover. I was
0: only able to erase the 20 seconds that uh, of that, and I wasn't able to splice everything together. So, no, uh, so the goal would be not to have any dead air this time. So, I'm not forced into that position of, uh, making an ass of myself again. I also wanted to mention again that David Simon, the, the showrunner of the plot against America, which is what we're here to talk about, um, he, he does a podcast that they drop immediately after every episode sponsored by hbo and it's good i mean i rec- recommend it to everybody who listens or who watches the show um it's nothing like ours um because it's a love it's complete love fest which this show is not always but uh, it's really good and simon is just so articulate and has made so much incredible television that um uh, just getting a chance to hear him basically talk for 25 35 minutes every week is a real pleasure so uh, i highly recommend that now episode three episode two excuse me of the plot against america great opening didn't you think you like the the song the song and then the and then the the flight wasn't that basically the beginning of the show
1: yeah yes and how about newark airport
0: now, how, how, how realistic was uh, uh, that airport, I presume that terminal that we saw isn't still there, right? It is still there. It is still but there. It,
1: yes, it's now enclosed by, the, the front that you see is now enclosed in, in, in a courtyard inside oh. of a, a much larger, larger building. Okay. But the building's there. And I, I remember driving past it all the time when I was a kid. We used to go to Newark Airport for fun to watch the planes take off and land. That was a thing was a, people used to do. That was yep. a thing we did when I was very a lot of little, airports, you
0: know. as I recall, used to have observation decks.
1: Yes, and it was uh, it was the roof of the gate, the gate building that's, that uh,
0: protruded out into the onto the tarmac. Right, right. Yeah, the far. I, as, this is might be wildly off, but I have a memory of, of of watching planes from the observation deck in the the airport in Fargo, North Dakota could be way off but that's that's my, what my memory says and i recently uh was in the anchorage airport and there's an indoor observation deck it's fantastic you can see the whole operation i, I guess it's easier when you have a small airport to do, do things like that
1: well in fargo you'd, you'd go there to catch the one flight that came in every day from bismarck <laughs>
0: right so the uh the, the newark terminal the one we saw in the show that that wasn't the actual that was cgi'd probably right because it was outdoors and it was not surrounded by anything right
1: cgi or or some kind of intrusion of actual photos and uh, but it's it's very well done and uh, the traffic jam that 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 sandy traverses to get to the airport is really impressive too there are a lot of cars in that thing Mm -hmm. a lot of vintage cars People probably listen so to us and I, say, "Boy, they—they only they, they, they really care about the cars and the buildings,
0: and what about the well, story? What about the people? People? <laughs> no, we're uh, the uh, the the. I did have a couple of issues, uh, small issues with that opening, which was wonderful to, to watch, obviously, but we're, we're led to believe that Sandy just he, he was obsessed with being there to see Lindbergh, right? Right, and, and he slept yet, in. He slept in, no alarm clock. And raced. We know that he slept in the plane. late because when he races, <laughs> when he runs outside, there are already multiple children playing Yes, in the street. So apparently it must be, I don't know, nine ten o'clock in the morning. Uh, I don't know about you, but whenever in my life I've been obsessed with something that I had to do in the morning, I didn't even need an alarm clock. Maybe it's different when you're 13, uh, but... <laughs> but there but it, it just seems strange. And then this is all ha- he's he's awoken by the airplane, which uh, A I'm not sure it'd be loud enough. B B um he's a, it's Lindbergh's plane, and apparently Lindbergh just take loops around the city six or seven or twelve times, waiting for Sandy to get to, to get there. Right, because it it would take to six, catch the uh, boss at least 35, right. 45 minutes probably the whole trip.
1: To get dressed, catch the bus. Yes. Now, run did you notice anything? Road jammed with cars. I, I think it was just abstract. I don't
0: yes. think we're yes, supposed to take that literally. But. Right. But we were supposed to take literally that Limburg was flying the Spirit of St. Louis. Did that yes. strike you as a bit odd?
1: in the i can't remember in the book he does go on the barnstorming trip in the book i mean that's that's his campaign Mm -hmm. right and he would fly in solo to any number of airports and just say the same thing at every airport
0: well it was the same yes and it was fantastic to see the spirit of st louis and to see the interior which i've never really seen before sort of famously Mm -hmm. you you couldn't see out the front of the see out the front yeah so he has a he has a he, when he wanted to look down, he would usually just sort of yaw the plane. It's hard to explain exactly how that works, but you can sort of tip a plane sideways, right? While you're right. still essentially flying straight. And he would do that to look at the ground. And you actually see a little bit of that. You see him looking out the sides of the plane, but he also had a periscope. And we actually get to see that in the show, which I've never seen before. That was fascinating to me. Wow, I missed that. But here, here's, the, here's, here's why I brought all this up. Uh, this we're we're seeing something happening in 1940. Lindbergh actually retired the Spirit of St. Louis in 1927, and it basically never flew again. So, the entire Spirit of St. Louis um, thing is 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 an invention because it fits the story, which is fine. I don't remember if he flew it, the Spirit of St. Louis in the in the book or not. Probably not. Is it possible that in this universe, he had a replica built?
1: just for the barnstorming tour
0: yes and there actually was a replica built in the late 30s for a movie that included the spirit of St. Louis uh so of, okay, of so course he, but we are yeah. we're just um we are pushing our inflection point a little bit further <laughs> before what, what we what we thought it was last week which is fine but uh I, I'm glad Scott I'm glad we got to see the plane that was neat Yes, dead silence. <laughs> feel free Sorry. to jump
1: in. Well, I just want to say, in general, I thought it was an outstanding episode. The, the threads are starting to to come together. Uh, all the different stories are, are being unspooled very nicely. And new stories. Um, yeah, we've got the we've got the romance between Rabbi Benkelsdorf and uh, Phil's aunt is now taking off. And uh, Alvy is getting <laughs> getting heavily politicized. Um, I, I like how it, in the family, there is the full spectrum of reaction. You've got Alvy on one side, I hate Nazis, I'm going to go kill them. Right. And then you've got Aunt Evelyn with, you know, marrying, uh, you, you know, falling in love with a rabbi who's, you know, saying, no, no, Lindbergh's fine. And then you've got every point in between.
0: And then and you've got Phil the rabbi, who's, t- who's too young to just you know latch <laughs> yes. on to any of those things. Speaking of the rabbi, and we talked about Torturo last week, but uh, do you think do you think his his accent is even attempting to be specific, like from a certain place? Because it seems s- like such a lazy, typical Southern accent that even I could do it. Which, and that's true of no accents ever when he says something like, um, "What does he say?" I, I wrote it down a beautiful name for a beautiful lady, you know, it just, um, <laughs> I, and I almost got it. I didn't quite get it, but that's almost what he's doing. Uh, you know, it's not like there are some really specific ones like, Oh, that's uh, Savannah, Georgia, right? Uh, Paul F. Tompkins can do like 50 different accents from the South and the West. I mean, he, he's unbelievable. Um, it doesn't seem to me that Tortura really, put a great deal of effort into choosing a place to be from but maybe that's just there's a place where that's where they what they sound like i don't know it just occurred to me that that if they asked me to do do a southern accent in a show this is what i would have to come up with yeah i could probably
1: only do three or four southern accents um for instance (laughs) i used to have a job where i would call people all over the country and the one place that i could not fathom what they were saying was people from western north carolina i mean that is a heavy accent uh-huh. uh, there's a movie with robert duvall it's a black and white movie made in like 1971 where he he does that accent and it's, he does it perfectly and it's it's indecipherable but i know what you're saying i always thought you know the, the virginia accent's very genteel mississippi and alabama a little more drawly florida i can have you do no one? idea can you do one no, for I'm us i'm not going to no, I cannot. I'm not prepared. I'm not, not prepared. the Virginia. I, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I think that's, you said that's you could more do, than... <laughs> you said you could do three or four. Well, sir, it, it, it seems that we have come to an impasse. You know, that, that kind of thing. <laughs> we are going to have to cordially disinvite ourselves from the Union at this time. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Which is broad, and people from Virginia are probably just holding their heads in their hands saying, Listen to this, Yankee. <laughs>
0: so I like what you I think you're right about all the storylines coming together and then there were the new ones there was the character Steinem I believe his name was kind of came out of nowhere I don't remember I assume he was in the book oh Um, yeah he he, that's the job that that
1: Alvy has driving him around and you know he's a despicable person right and Alvy just can't stand to be around him I don't think anyone can stand to be around them but they (laughs) they respect him because he has money and he made something of himself uh like like philip's right. father thinks look 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 what he's done forget who he is look what he's done and that's right. the, the bone of contention between alvie and philip's father and uh you know and I, then there's I, this
0: storyline where where the where
1: go ahead i was going to say i worked with someone like that he didn't have that kind of achievement but he was that kind of chiseler and and uh just general obnoxious person right um you know, uh, African Americans would come into the store, and he'd go follow them around, pretend you're cleaning, and follow them around, make sure they don't steal anything. And finally, I said to him one day, "No, you do it, because I'm not doing that." Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I could do it. He he didn't own the store, Right. so I, I was in no no fear of
0: of being fired. But so, what do you what do you read into the the storyline about the? the younger son who has taken to to apparently following in the footsteps of his much larger more more worldly friend and stealing money from his parents well we have to talk about Earl Axman
1: because he is off the he's off the chain and i was wondering <laughs> what what is earl axman going to grow up to be last week he was touching his mother's underwear and pimping out his mother's underwear to philip <laughs> and you know now he's stealing and now and then he's tracking people. So for right. a while I thought, oh, you know, maybe he'll grow up to be Al Goldstein, the guy who founded Screw Magazine. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's where he's headed. Uh, he's going to be successful. He's incredibly bright. The kid who plays him is really good. Yep. When he's given the instructions about how to steal the change. I mean, that's just top, top shelf acting right there. Right. But, uh, you know, he's, he's the kind of kid you hope your kids don't hang, meet and hang around
0: with (laughs) (laughs) and then what about uh there's this really bizarre because there's no context scene of sandy again sketching a horse and then this stranger rides a horse out on the streets in newark apparently and is taking the rabbi and then rides that's the rabbi yeah that was um I believe it was. And really, what what was the point of the scene? Oh, I, I think to start... show that he, he he
1: respects him. You know, Sandy's in the thrall huh. of, of Lindbergh, and right. the rabbi's in that camp. So, you know, what, what do you do with heroes? You put them on a horseback in the statue.
0: Well, do you think uh, do you think that somehow going to tie into the 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 plot line that comes up later not to give too much away because i don't really remember much of it but later in the story there's going to be a movement to send jewish children to farms
1: yeah maybe that's foreshadowing it doesn't seem I mean, to be the it kind sort of, of is... show that it doesn't seem to be that literary minded that they're playing those well, kind of then, literary games it, then why
0: with all the horses there have been now horses in both episodes Sketching of horses.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I hadn't thought about that much. the The horses are they're in the book. He, Oh, huh. they still. It, it shows there's still a rural aspect to Newark in right. 1940. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there were still there were still some horse drawn businesses. You know, the the peddler would right. still come around mm-hmm. with a horse, right. as we learned from Ironweed. I don't know if you remember the movie Ironweed. No, I never saw
0: uh, that.
1: Oh, very good. And I, I think
0: that's all that is.
1: But One I'm, of the things that online. I really
0: like, a, <laughs> <laughs> well, so am I usually, but when I, when I see the same motif <laughs> pop up over and over again or where there's a mystery, like, who's that guy on the horse? It, it does make me wonder. One of the things that I've noticed about this show is, and this is a, something that every period show, basically anything before – 1990 or something has to deal with is smoking uh and there's this it's so weird now to see people smoking or a lot of people smoking uh that it's almost it can be distracting have you ever noticed that even when people are smoking just as much as they would in would have in real life i find i find it distracting um i also find it distracting when nobody's smoking you ever ever have that that feeling? Yes, uh, I mean in in Private Seven. Ryan, for example, hardly any of the guys in the in the unit smoked. When in real life, they probably all would have. Right, I know I would have. If I'd been in World War II, I would have smoked a <laughs> carton a day. I know that free smokes. Yep, free smokes. But uh, what I like Th- that's about a great point. Is that- yeah, I- he, he, they really straddle the line pretty well because you if you pay attention you'll notice that characters that we don't know are smoking but not a lot um, and we and we in two of the main characters at least two smoke but again not much it's just it's just there enough to remind you that people smoke but not enough to make you think they're idiots uh, who are killing themselves right Uh I always wondered in
1: old in old Hollywood, did they have cigarette wrangler, wranglers on the set, and did they have a cigarette continuity person? Whereas, you know when they right. started a, a shot again, they'd say, "Wait a minute, the cigarette was three quarters down, and right. uh, we we got to get a new cigarette in." And they'd have all these cigarettes ready in var- at various lengths for matching continuity. That's that's one of the problems with cigarettes is they you know they get smaller as
0: you smoke them. Right. Well, they would have needed one of those in uh, Mad Men for sure. Right. Yeah, I, I literally can't remember the last time I
1: I, I saw someone smoking indoors. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it was on the subway going coming home from Shea Stadium in like 1986. Uh-huh. There was a guy smoking on the subway, which it was illegal by then, and he looked like a rough customer. And I <laughs> I tapped my father. I said, "Hey, Dad, why don't you go tell him that smoking's illegal on the
0: subway." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's been a while. So what are what are the random observations that you have before we get into the into the more meat of the story?
1: Well, I, I like all the references. Uh, the reference to Frank Haig, the mayor of Jersey City, uh, who's you know he's a rock solid Roosevelt supporter. Uh, Haig was very corrupt, and his his slogan was "I am the law." <laughs> um, I love the Burns and Allen bit when they, I want to
0: talk about that a little bit more, but go okay. ahead.
1: It's just a wonderful moment in the show. It's a happy moment. Um, the kind of thing you think back on, you know, when everything's gone to ruin in your life, like sometimes I'm thinking, you know, what's going on now without getting into that too much. When, when something good happens, I'll think this is what I'll think about the happy time. This moment, before it all went really bad, and I think the Burns and Allen moment was was like that. Yes. This is what we'll think about when when Lindbergh has wrecked America.
0: <laughs> well, and it also goes a long way toward. And other there are other things in the show. We talked about it last week. Uh, it just every one, every little detail like that is just another step in humanizing these people not that they need to be humanized but just to i'm not sure how to really articulate this but because you and i don't need to be reminded that jews in newark in 1940 were 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 perfectly perfectly good human beings and perfectly good americans but th- we're building up to something i think that's the point right right because as we go farther into the series these lovely people are going to be de essentially and turned into the other, which is really right. the point of the entire sh- book and the show. I, I know that, that uh, unfortunately, and Simon's talked about this, and I'm getting deeper into this than I meant to this early in, the ep- in, in our, our show, but, but uh, the point of the show is not that Jews were discriminated against. That's, that's on the surface, and it's certainly important. But the point of the show is that we as Americans, certainly, and we as human beings, have an unfortunate, persistent tendency to dehumanize all sorts of people, including Jews and every other group you can think of. That's the point of the show. And just because David Simon is Jewish doesn't mean that's not what he's trying to say. The whole concept of the other, Uh,
1: and and I'll say something about people say in, in Sweden or Norway, they have comprehensive medical care. Why can't we have that in the United States? And I think one of the reasons is that in Sweden and Norway, there is no other. Everyone is basically the same. Whereas in the United States, there are so many different others that people say, I don't want my money going to the other. You know, I I want it for for me. Uh, I don't I don't care. I don't want my money out there helping people who are outside of my group. Uh, That's just a theory I have. I don't know if it's true or not. Um, I haven't studied on that. But, you know, the United States is full of others and and has been for a long time. Right. But, you know, the rabbi, Rabbi Bengelsdorf makes a really good point when he's talking about Jewish loyalty to the United States, uh, he said, you know, the Irish still think about Ireland. The Poles still think about Poland. But a Jew in America doesn't care anything about the country they came from. And I thought that was a great point. Yeah, because, you know, they got mostly run out of there on a rail. They they ran to get away from those countries because they were treated awfully there. So... I hope that right, but he's gets making that the point,
0: point in in the service of something quite evil. He, he, and right, he's making that point at the big rally, right? No, he makes that before the
1: rally. I think that's before the. But rally. But it doesn't. It doesn't matter. He doesn't know he's in service to evil. Right. You know, that's the thing about characters. They don't know they're doing evil. A lot of times, they think they're doing the right thing.
0: Right. Yes, of course.
1: Um,
0: I mean, and I, I think mean, Thanos thinks <laughs>
1: thinks he's doing the right thing, getting rid of half the people in the in the universe.
0: Yes, yes. I just saw Thanos reference yesterday in reference to um, in, regarding uh, something that's happening currently in our in our in our society, but uh, we're not going <laughs> to we're not going to head there. Um, it was an apt reference, I thought, not fifty percent, but anyway. Um, no, I, I I agree with all that. Um, and the rabbi i think his his motivation is to convince the rest of america that the jews consider themselves americans americans first right so right. maybe we should so leave, please leave us alone because we're, we're just like you but i don't think he's going to make that argument well enough i mean i think that's and who's ever made it well enough um well they were certainly the more rally like, uh, were
1: certainly better americans than a lot of germans Right, <laughs> yes. who, who were who were you know were running pro Nazi camps and and having rallies. Uh, did you notice that at the Lindbergh rally where Bengelsdorf speaks, there's a portrait of George Washington. I did behind him a giant, and you know where that portrait comes from.
0: Isn't that from the the Nazi rally?
1: Yes, it's the exact banner that was at the the Madison Square Garden rally in February of 1939
0: right I thought that was a really really great touch so what is that rally supposed to represent is it an America First rally because I thought I heard Simon say on the podcast that it was the Republican convention yeah it was that doesn't really make sense either
1: no not in October of 40 no
0: No, I think it was just a
1: a, a pro Lindbergh rally
0: Well, but there were banners that said America First
1: yeah, but I mean people hold up banners at rallies as we know that.
0: Well no, slogan, I mean it was it, they so. weren't just held up. They were they were part of the decor. Oh. They were okay. al- aligned on the on the sides of the giant Washington banner.
1: Well you have me at advantage, sir. I I don't know.
0: it's it, <laughs> you know, America First I mean, and we an synonymous around. by I, that point. I mean this is like, I thought that I thought that Simon said on the podcast that it was the nominating convention, but it couldn't have been that. It doesn't look no. like that. It's too late no. to be that. Yes. Um, I don't know that they ever mentioned in during the show the actual nomination, did they? Like, no. There was no mention of the convention, any of that stuff.
1: In episode one, he was talking about he considered right. running. Um, so the show decided to skirt the thing where he shows up at the convention and gets the nomination there. On the floor
0: right which is fine I suppose I'm gonna I'm gonna re-listen to the podcast and see if Simon really did say that it was a convention um, because it struck me as very odd when I when I watched the ship watch the episode again um, but they just it, they were never quite clear what what that rally was I mean obviously it could just be a, a just a regular old campaign rally the sort of the sort of rally that that uh, candidates throw all the time um, it just wasn't clear what that and also the america first banners i guess that you could just assume sort of that the that Lindbergh's campaign has has adopted that slogan which was of course had a lot of currency in in right. 1940. right
1: uh i think it's important that the mother has gone to work mm-hmm. at haynes um they're actually saving money to go to canada i think in the book that's one of the main reasons she gets the job. And they're going to bank all of the money that she makes. So that they, if if need be, if things get out of hand, they can go to Canada.
0: So you think that's the motivation in the show and they just haven't told the kids yet? Because that hasn't come up as an option.
1: No, it didn't. They, she said it was so that they could afford a house. Right. Uh, or maybe in the show it's on a
0: different arc and they haven't gotten to that point yet, but... Right. Well, since you have brought her up twice, I'm just going to mention this is the officially the episode in which I fell in love with Zoe Kazan. She (laughs) is just so utterly delightful, and compassionate, and understanding and wise all the way through this thing. And then can I just say she's sexy, too? Is it all right to say that? I mean, I feel like these days I've listened been listening for the last I don't know, or three months to a lot of podcasts about movies and tv shows and they're almost all of them I, I should, that's probably not fair the ones i've been listening to so okay i'll wear that one are usually hosted by males not always but usually but the attractiveness or appeal of female characters never comes up never and I feel like if, if this was all if, we, if if we were doing pod, if, if these guys were doing podcasts, say 20 years ago, it would come up, right? People used to really? talk about those things and they don't really so much anymore. I got a little just a hint. I was listening to a, to a podcast called the Re- Rewatchables. Uh, again on the ringer, they do so many great podcasts on pop culture. Uh, and they were talking about um, the day the, the edge of tomorrow, which we both love, right? The right. Tom Cruise movie is that the right yes. title and one of the one of the hosts said somebody said one of the hosts said something about Emily Bunt we shouldn't talk about that right now and the other one said you can talk as long as you want about Emily Blunt that's as close <laughs> as they ever get to admitting that they found a character physically appealing but I just I just Zoe Kazan she just I just love everything she does in this show everything she's great
1: yeah and Dare I say this? Uh, she's not a traditional Hollywood beauty. Correct. But if I met someone that looked like that, I'd be all in. If I met a regular walking around woman that looked like that. I, yes. And carried herself
0: that way on top of that. I'd be all in. And, and the, the, the George and Gracie bit was one of the most charming things I've ever seen on screen just i i could i've watched it twice i'll probably watch it again it's just so much fun right uh, and I, the second time you, so you really
1: get a handle on on how the father blows the joke <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's really funny
0: oh but I, yeah i just uh whenever and you know what the, here's the thing though it's making the show her being so appealing is going to make the show more difficult to watch and that's the point right again, absolutely the whole point—they're just Simon is just drawing us in, drawing us in, making us love these people, and then the horrible, these horrible things are going to start happening to them, and because they—that's what—that's for, what the for show no reason. He is.
1: That's yeah. That's the madness of it all. I, I remember yes. when I was watching the first time I saw Schindler's List. Uh, you know, they just walk up to someone and shoot him in the camp, and I'm just thinking, no one should ever have that much power over someone else ever. Right. Under any circumstances. And this is all happening for an abstraction for no reason. And, you know, I mean, someone like that, she symbolizes every woman that was ever hauled off to a camp. Uh, (laughs) Or everyone who was ever ground under the boot of a a fascist totalitarian regime.
0: Just a regular person. And there are millions of regular people in our country. Eighty years later, who are also living in fear, and that's the point of the show. Yeah. Right. I think, uh, I, don't, I don't know if it was don't, the I, point. I,
1: in the, do you think it was the point of ahead. the novel
0: at the time he wrote it? <sighs> that's a really good question. Um, I think no, I don't. I but I could be wrong I I think it was part of the point I certainly think Roth had the concept of the other in mind while he was writing it but I also think that it's such a personal story that maybe the that concept and the the history of persecution you know since forever I don't know if that was number one or number two in Roth's mind, but I think it's certainly number one in, in Simon's mind. I mean, he's been very upfront about that in interviews uh, about what this show is really about and why he felt like he had to make it right now. So, um, But Roth, I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and do some research. He's done, he's done a lot. I'm sure he did interviews. We, we both listened to the fantastic Fresh Air interview he did with Terry Gross, uh, talked about it. So um, I don't know. It's a good question. You know, I think what he would probably say is, what he probably would say, that's not really the point. You read it and you you can figure out what it's about, right? I mean, that's what most novelists say. (laughs) Yeah. You know, again, some people read the novel, some people were gonna watch the TV show and think it's just about the Jews. And (laughs) it's hard for us to argue that. We can't, you can't really argue the point of art, Um, but for, for the creators, I think there's something else there.
1: When they're at the Newsreel Theater, one of the newsreels says that the Nazis are rounding up communists, gypsies, Gypsies. Jews, Jews. And one other group. I can't remember. I can't remember what the other, the fourth group is Uh, agitators, feeble
0: minded agitators, communists, something. Yeah. Right.
1: So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's part of, as they always say, it's all well and good till they start coming for you. Right. You know, you know at what point do you start saying, "Oh, wait a minute
0: <laughs> They didn't get me this time. They didn't come from my group this time, but <laughs> did you notice that that scene when he was watching they were watching the newsreel? There were only about I don't know twelve, fifteen, twenty people in the theater sure. and then and then at the end, when he's watching the newsreel about Lindbergh winning, it's packed. Wow, that's very subtle. I did not
1: pick up on that. I just thought maybe it was because of the time of day or the fact that people would drift in and out of the newsreel theater. You didn't have to be there at the start. you Uh, could just drift in and out at any time.
0: I think think there was a point there, which was that people didn't really care too goddamn much about what was happening in Europe. Um, Couldn't be bothered to go watch those films of the Nazis uh, hauling people off. Well, that's a very good observation on your part. Thank you, Jim. I'm about out of notes. I think you and I touched bases briefly before we started recording. You said you caught something, that uh, a big glitch in the show. That wasn't the term you used, but but, uh, what what, what did you spot? Well, many years ago,
1: I was watching a TV movie about the Kennedys, and the opening title said Boston 1946. So I'm thinking, oh, they're going to mention the World Series. The Red Sox are in the World Series for the first time since (laughs) 1918. They're going to mention the Kennedy brothers. Are going to no? They never mentioned the World Series. So this show opens with a title that says October 1940, and a few minutes
0: later, <laughs> this is the listening... last note. I this is my other. I forgot this note that I made, but I didn't pick up on this. I'm such an idiot. Go ahead. You you get so you get to take a few minutes later. They have thing. a
1: discussion. They're listening to a Yankees-Tiger game. Yep. And uh, you know. He, he, Makes a a Hank Greenberg joke Yep, appropriate.
0: They mention Rudy York and Pinky Higgins. Rudy York is batting. Very specific.
1: But what's the problem with that?
0: (laughs) Well, by October,
1: they're playing the World Series. Season's over. Yes. Season ended September 29th. They always tried to wrap up the season before October (laughs) in the old days because they had a shorter schedule. And they played a lot more doubleheaders, so they could do that. So I'm thinking maybe in this alternate universe... <laughs> <laughs> the season goes on a little longer. Maybe they're playing a hundred and sixty two game schedule or they they start in May. I don't know,
0: but <laughs> uh and nineteen forty was a season in which the Tigers actually won, went to the World Series. Right. As I recall. Uh yeah, they were and, and won. Right. So maybe in this alternate you no, know, you know, maybe what it
1: is is that they tied the Yankees. Yes. And they had to play a playoff game in this alternate world universe.
0: And the Yankees were in the race all the way up to the end. I think the Yankees and the the Yankees finished Indians. in third. It was close. The Tigers and the Indians, as right. you know. That was, uh,
1: the crybaby Indians here. W- went to the last yeah. weekend of the
0: season. Right. Uh, but no, I did p- not pick up on, which of all people, I should have. But no, I didn't pick up on that. That's good. Maybe they can change it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, well. We'll send them a strongly worded letter.
0: All they have to do is change the name of the team they're playing. It could be the World Series. Now that didn't happen in the World Series, probably, but at least it's closer. Right. They they'd be playing the
1: they played the Reds that year, right? Correct. Yep. Yeah. One thing they don't mention. Speaking of baseball, they never talk about the Newark Bears, the the, uh, international league team that was that was in Newark, uh, which was a great minor league team. Some people say that. The Newark Bears team of the late 30s could beat some of the lesser major league teams. I have no idea if that's true, but uh, it was. It, it's been said,
0: and you know, I wouldn't be at all surprised, and uh, if the Newark Bears were just as popular in Newark as the Yankees were, right?
1: I think if you if you if you did the Bears instead of the Yankees, and the Bears were a Yankees farm team, then you would have to explain. ...to the larger audience who the Newark Bears were. Exactly. Whereas you don't have to explain who the yep. Yankees are. You have to waste precious screen time on that.
0: Do you remember if there was any baseball in the novel? Yeah, there was some. Uh-huh. Yeah. References to some references the Yankees? That I don't remember. Uh, one thing, and we're not going to do it this week because I'm really not prepared, but I don't have anything to say about it, but I still want to discuss the great American novel at some point we have four more shots at it. So I will keep plugging away at the book. I I don't know if I mentioned this on on the show last week, but I I thought I would be able to read it within a few days because it's so good, but every page is so rich in historical context and just the language that I can only handle a a chapter or so at a time and then I have to put it down and just sort of rest my brain.
1: He, He gets everything right that's what's so impressive about it I'm sure you've had the experience where you're, you're reading a novel and there's baseball in it and the baseballs wrong right so you know a lot about baseball and you say well then he's got some stuff here about biology may I also assume that biology <laughs> stuff is <Yes>. equally inaccurate <laughs> I, I got to meet uh, T.C. Boyle once T.Cor Haggison Boyle and I said you know, you've written two stories about things I know a lot about. There's there's one about football, and there's another about collecting, the collecting mentality. And I said, you nailed both. So therefore, I'm going to assume that you've got all the stuff I don't know about right. <laughs> he really seemed to like that. And and I I mean, that's Roth, too. Right. The, the baseball in and, and the great American novel is so right in the history. It's he he has there. to
0: have done so much research. And he actually mentions, I think, in the acknowledgments that he spent some time in Cooperstown, but... He must have spent—I don't know how many—hundreds of hours. Maybe he already knew this stuff because he'd been studying it since, since he was a kid. But all that pre-1946 history—it's all packed into the novel, basically. It's fictionalized, right, and exaggerated in most cases. But it's all there. Uh, you know, the one-armed player, the midget—just go. The, the list goes on and on and on. It's—it's—it's it's, it's like it's weird. This bizarre.
1: It's a parallel baseball history. Yeah,
0: that never happened but it right. did it's
1: a, right it's a parallel universe the, the, the midget you know, eddie goodell was a couldn't play but in in yes <laughs> in the great american novel the pitcher can really pitch right okay can really pitch <laughs> uh, so it, it's just like it's just like our reality only a little bit enhanced right and the other thing about that novel compared to the plot against america is it's hilarious yes and the plot against America is utterly without humor.
0: Yes.
1: <laughs> so that's why I seen the, the, Burns and Al, the Burns and Allen bit was nice. I said, oh, right. well, there's, there's humor in the, sh- in the series that is not
0: in the book. But again, I, that, that really, and I apologize if, if we mentioned this on the show earlier, one of the previous, our, our previous episodes, but for me, there's no better example of Roth's genius than the fact that he could write these two books one of which is hilarious on every single page rambling uh, disjointed uh, told in the perspective of someone who is almost certainly the, insane or the demented. unreliable narrator yes yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 it's set in basically the same time period as the plot against america which isn't funny at all reads exactly like any like any a uh, perfectly normal or, or that's not the right word. Uh, a perfectly traditional novel, historical fiction, perhaps you could call it. But but it's there. These are incredibly disparate novels, and they're both brilliant. And how many how many writers could do that ever?
1: I know. It's it, it it makes me genuflect. I had a I had a teacher in high school, an English teacher with the incredibly literal literary name of Joyce Milton, and. <laughs> I believe she'd gone to high school with Roth. And did it ever occur to me at the age of 17, you know, having already read and been blown away by the great American novel that, you know, maybe I should sit down with her one day and say, tell me all you know. Tell me all you know about this guy. (laughs) It did not occur to me. So I'd like to go back in time and kick myself for that.
0: Honestly, there are two things I think that I regret the most about my youth or my relative youth. Uh, Obviously, there's no, there's not a dividing line. And I'm still learning, but the two things that I regret the most are the times when, when I uh, accidentally hurt someone's feelings and I think I remember a lot of them uh, I just stop wow, never stop was this a regular thing <laughs> who, do, who do I crush this week? <laughs> and the other one is is not being smart enough or um Observant enough to realize how valuable people around me could be, uh, in just in terms of of sharing their experiences and their memories. Uh, and I, I try to do a better job now about that, and ask people more questions about themselves and their lives and people they've known. Um, it's a wor- I'm a work in progress, obviously. I guess hope with luck we all are. But but so many opportunities when I was younger to ask people questions about things that interested me interest me now and did then and just didn't do it
1: I agree I think about my grandfather was a World War I veteran and he died when I was 18 I was already very much interested in military history long before then did it ever occur to me to sit down with him and say again tell me what you know tell me what happened Uh, he was at the front for two weeks I think with the signal corps and I remember everything he said about the war. Everything he ever said to me. is like six or seven anecdotes and stories that he told. I remember them. So if I'd really pushed, I'd know a lot more. So
0: that that's... Well, let's talk about this a little bit. Because I, I want to kind of... Maybe we can figure out why that happens. My grandfather... One of my grandfathers was at Pearl Harbor. Really? Yes. Wow. Um, serving on... I don't remember which ship. I want to say it was one of the battleships. Um... But I don't remember. I don't think he was wounded, but he was certainly there on the ship. And I remember I was probably ten years old, and he was visiting. And somebody got him talking about Pearl Harbor, and somebody, somebody, and and maybe probably one of my parents said, "Robbie, you should come over here and listen to this," because (laughs) I I was already at ten, a big World War II buff. Right. When I was ten, I read a two-volume history of the U.S. submarine war during during World War II. I mean, I was way deep at a very young age. And yet, for, so I went over and listened, but for some reason, I think as children, we just have a really difficult time connecting these things with actual people. Why, why is that? I mean, I didn't ask my other grandfather about the war. He didn't see any combat, but he, he was all over the place. Uh, he worked on, on, on airships um, and was all over the Atlantic. Um, uh, and, uh, we went for a, a walk in a park when I was in my forties and it was then that I finally thought, I think I'll ask Pappy about, uh, what he did during the war forties. I've been a buff for <laughs> more than 30 years. What the fuck took me so long? I don't know. Do you, why, why does that
1: happen? Well, first of all, 90% of people do not ask questions. Yes, You know, I, they're, they're there are people in my acquaintance, like when I go to the gym, there are people I say hi to. They know nothing about me. They never ask me any questions about, you know, my family, anything. Most people do not engage on that level. Most people want to talk about themselves. Right. And the fact that we ever asked anybody any questions at that age <laughs> or that we were listening enough to know what we know shows that we're a little bit out off the curve of what most people you know
0: plus we were wrapped up in other stuff
1: you know flipping baseball cards or whatever it was you're doing at that age and most people are doing
0: yeah but if you're wrapped up in world war ii right wouldn't that seem like an uh, one time when you'd break out of that sort of self-involved childishness well i think that's a sort of a scholarly thing to interview someone
1: to yes and how many of us are scholarly at 12 and 12 to 14
0: well, I think that's right. We look at a book and we think, "Oh, there's 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 where the knowledge comes from," Right. and we don't. We have to. It's it's difficult to get to a point where you see a person and think, "Oh, there's where the knowledge comes from."
1: Right, and think about the people who who've done the great oral histories. Uh, the you know the great baseball oral histories, or or Studs Terkel, and right, you know, they're the people that said, "Oh, wait a minute, why don't we talk to the actual people?" <laughs> <laughs> yes. And they all got lucrative book deals. So.
0: <laughs> it it just seems like such an once you figure it out, it it seems so easy and so obvious, but it's really hard to figure it out. And I don't, still, I don't, I don't quite understand why.
1: Uh, it's I, human nature.
0: And, and I, th- you th- I wonder if maybe too there's this, maybe and this might be something specific to our culture where i think there are a lot of people who would think if i ask that person about their war smears it's it's going to be prying and dredge up things they don't want to talk about so i just won't bring it up now if you're eight you're not thinking that probably but i, oh. I do think that's part of it
1: oh i distinctly remember being at a, a cub scout meeting and a kid in town it was back from nam and I knew this kid was going to do it. He stood up and he said during the Q and A, "Did you kill anybody?" <laughs> and you know, the whole audience kind of went. <gasps> you know, everybody held their breath, and the answer was yes. He had killed two guys. He said. He talked it was, about it. Yes, he said. Wow. One had one had come right up to the wire and was leveling his gun at me, and I had to shoot him. I can't remember what the other one was, but you know, I, I knew I knew enough at that age. I'm not going to ask him that question, but you know johnny <laughs> johnny who did it I, I knew he'd be the guy to do it and he was
0: so uh i have two more notes before i let you go we're not quite bumping up into our mandated show length which which is self-mandated uh we cannot go longer than the actual episode of, a, of the tv show so we thought that's a- uh,
1: actually a federal law Most oh, people oh it don't is know okay that. yeah okay.
0: Cool. good good I, I well i've been i've already been in compliance didn't even know um so one thing um that I discovered which was I thought was incredible was that so w- the 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 Lindbergh's the, the Spirit of St. Louis stamp figures into the show at least once. Um we you you used it for our for our graphic, which is great. Um, <coughs> it um when I was looking up the career of the Spirit of St. Louis, I discovered that they created that stamp in the space of about a week and issued it. Huh. Uh, now th- that process takes, literally takes years to create a stamp. But by the time Lindbergh got back from Europe, they were issuing the stamp, wow. which to me is just mind-blowing. Uh, for one thing, that the, 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 the process could be so streamlined, and for another, the, the, it, they could create something so beautiful in such a short time frame. And speaking of swastikas, because we have a swastika on our, on our Spirit of St. Louis, I think uh, the book does too, right? The book jacket? The,
1: the book jacket has a swastika on one of the National Park stamps.
0: Oh, okay. That's a different which, one.
1: Which come into play in yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in episode two. Yeah. He's showing them off. He has everyone except the 10 cent, the black stamp.
0: Yes. Uh, by the way, I love stamps. I love the stamps are in this show. Just one of the many amazing things about it. Yeah. Um, I don't collect. Well, I would say I don't collect. I do have about 300 vintage stamps just because I like to touch them and look at them. They're they're like they're not even in a book or anything. They're just sort of loose. But they're so cheap on eBay that I sometimes I just can't resist. they are um, it's
1: hard to turn down good graphics. Yes. And that's that's and, that's uh, my problem. That's why I have a house full of stuff like that because I just can't <laughs> say no to good graphics.
0: but we you and I talked about we talked about Nazis and swastikas and why they're so popular Uh, Mm -hmm. wrong word choice I know but we talked about that in probably the first episode our first episode let's say yes they're so prevalent prevalent. that's a much better but (laughs) there's more to it than that but we talked about that already but anyway I wanted to mention that 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 uh the second episode of the new season of Westworld is just full of Nazis it's incredible nazi vehicles nazi stormtroopers nazi submachine guns they they the 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 money they spend on that show they found a location they needed an italian village couldn't find one so they found one in in spain and it's incredible (laughs) and there's also a dc3 in u.s markings that's incredible I, i mean i know you don't watch the show anymore but i would recommend the first 10 minutes of the latest episode just for the World War II stuff they just people just can't get enough of it well it's called war world by the way
1: in, it, in the it looks great and that's that's the thing about it it's got a great look that's that's why people are drawn to it um, I, I think that's why people are drawn to German equipment you know model builders that's what they build they don't most people don't sit down and build a t34 they they build a tiger or a panther they just look, they have a look about them.
0: Right. You know I, what you can't get uh, on your model uh, airplane in Germany? Swastika. That is correct. Yes. They have a whole special line of models in Germany that are exactly the same as the ones the rest of us get, but no swastika decals. They are banned. But speaking of looks, I think
1: I think the plot against America looks great. Yes. And it's... in. It, it's just taking. It takes you by. I mean, the the, the the interiors of the Haynes department store are just spectacular.
0: The vo- just, The voting. All the little oh, details when they when you, right. when they vote when they
1: vote in the theater. Oh. Yeah, it, it's just great. I recently rewatched uh, the Purple Rose of Cairo. Mm-hmm. We talked about Woody Allen before. Right. We talked about Radio Days, but the Purple Rose of Cairo, Cairo has the same color palette as the Plot Against America. And it's it, it too is very authentic looking. As I used to say about the movie Paper Moon, it looks more like the '30s than the '30s did. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I my my hats off to the production quality. Of, uh, Somebody
0: once said about the comic book artist Neil Adams that he drew people as if people looked that way. Sort of the same concept, right? <laughs> so again. I
1: think this, this episode was a great leap forward and I can't wait to see where it goes from here I, I can't I'm, really I'm dreading every,
0: it. every every hour, every all the next four hours I'm dreading except the very end <laughs> I know that I have to watch the next three plus hours to get to the last 15-20 minutes uh, and I'm okay with that because it's so well made but if it was made 80% as well I wouldn't watch it it's just too painful or it's going to be too painful. You've got to harden your heart, Rob.
1: <laughs> not a good time for a hard heart. Harden your heart and send your grandmother out to shop.
0: Are you staying safe in Austin? Do they, in that in the Austin area, I get the impression there's no sort of lockdown there yet. It's not a
1: lockdown, but it is frowned upon to gather. Got it.
0: You mean socially it's frowned yes. upon or legally socially, it's frowned
1: upon? socially frowned upon.
0: Got it. That's not according to the pictures I saw today, buddy. Okay, you saw one swimming hole. Yep.
1: And you're drawing conclusions? You know, I that's just, what that you're just taking a page out of the plot against America. You're drawing conclusions. I'm just conclusions saying there weren't a, there a weren't
0: eighty people at the beach here in Portland this morning. Now it was thirty eight degrees, but still.
1: <laughs> well, it was it was hot here. What are you gonna do? They're actually Steve. shutting
0: down. They're closing all the parking lots at all the parks and, uh, and beaches tomorrow. So even if it was warm, people wouldn't be able to get there.
1: Well, we, we shouldn't talk about this because it's too, it's too specific. And we want this show to be – do we want it to be a time capsule
0: or do we want it to be timeless? I just want people to always remember what my voice sounds like on a mic. <laughs> That's all I care about.
1: Well, you should have a, a sort of an audio system at your on your tombstone, where people <laughs> have, press press a you button. Know, you know they have those, right? Oh, sure. Yep. Hi, this is Rob. <laughs> I was born in nineteen sixty six. I died in I won't say, because I don't want to jinx you.
0: <laughs> All right, good stuff, buddy. Anything else to say?
1: No. Next week we'll talk about Newark and the New Jersey experience, and uh, we'll get into the Great American Novel a little bit more. probably do a whole show on the great american novel
0: Uh, that'd be fun we could maybe we could do an extra Uh, episode
1: one thing about roth uh he said yeah that seems to be the favorite book of my friend's sons (laughs) and i remember reading that and thinking i was really insulted by that because it's it's my absolute favorite novel of all time and i'm thinking well he just insulted me he says i have the a taste of a fourteen-year-old, which is how old I was when I read it. <laughs> so I haven't progressed apparently since I was fourteen.
0: Yeah, I was twenty. I'm guessing that my taste at twenty are about the same as yours at fourteen. So that totally tracks. <laughs> so I'm not. I'm not. But I don't
1: hold it against Roth at <laughs> all that he looks down on me for liking his work. All right, we'll see you next week, all everybody. Right, next week,
0: buddy. Take care.